0: And welcome to KFPL Weekly. This is Jupiter with my sidekick. Hey guys, it's Trazcore. And today we are continuing our series on cards that affect a game. If you listened to last week, we talked about Quixel This week we're talking about Heart of the Forest. So I would be a if I didn't call on my good friend Jason Bargender to join us for a talk about Heart of the Forest. So say hello. Evening, guys. Uh, the quiet, the the uh the, the guy that makes heart of the forest like uh hurt people's heads, but uh <laughs> but uh if you didn't catch the game that he played against um, Grant um. In the KFPL, you should go watch that game three. It was one of the best Heart of the Forest games I've ever seen. And if you hate Heart of the Forest, he shows you one way to break Heart of the Forest. So it was pretty intense. And uh, I still give you kudos for that being one of the best games ever in KFPL.
1: I I thought that one was actually clever. Yep.
0: Yeah. I'm about
2: to watch this one now.
0: Oh my God. It was so good. Like, and it's like when I figured out what Jason was doing and and Z just kept ignoring me and I had to say it three times. And then finally he goes, (laughs) Oh my God, he's doing this. I'm like, Yep, that was me. That was a was <laughs> what I saw him doing, but
1: <laughs> it was—it like, was one of the most fun games to walk, rewatch. By the way, your commentary was delightful.
0: Sorry, like uh, I'm usually guessing, so like I'm not—I'm not, I'm not a, a skilled thing, but like a lot of times, like I see like the, the odd lines, like you said, and like I'm good at that. And like uh, sometimes Z is so straightforward, he just misses it, and then when he finally gets it, he just—it seems like uh, he didn't ever me he never heard me say it. So <laughs> I'm just like whatever, <laughs> it's all good. I love Z focused he, up. Yeah, Z, oh, Z. is great. He's like so mathematically sound when he plays. Like it's it's crazy. But enough of the uh, the stuff. Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us like what you what KeyForge means to you, so people can kind of know who you are.
1: Yeah. yeah so I started KeyForge maybe three four months after it was released, and uh, mostly just was got into trying to figure out what decks were most interesting to me early on. Um, and then that kind of pivoted later into an invite to join Team SaaS at one point. In fact, Grant at the time was on Team SAS and had wanted to bring me on because he was watching my tracker logs and found out that I was playtesting extremely creative decks that um, in ways that other people weren't. And so I get a lot of enjoyment out of building our own algorithms for decks and trying to procure... Excellent decks that other people don't see the value in when it's early on in a site release. So that's how I enjoy interacting with the hobby is figuring out the best decks that are possible, not just the ones that are best that are for sale, uh, and figuring out what mechanics drive those decks.
0: Well, I would say that's kind of how you define a meta instead of meta, right? Like it's, and it's like uh, in Keyforge, there's definitely cards that come out that are that are overhyped um and they get all this kind of value and then you got cars that are just underhyped and not seen as well and um so then there's like this weird narrative like you're seeing that with dark tidings right now how everybody's like logos is going to be unstoppable i'm like you don't really (laughs) we don't really know the full algorithm of how logos is going to be released and stuff and actually from what i've heard from some of the overseas people is that logos is not as good as people were hoping it would be and other some of the other houses are starting to kind of like show themselves but uh i think it's like Jumping the gun on a on a pre-release sometimes is like is like rough, but if you're doing your own work and you're doing your own analysis and thinking, then it's great. But like if you just look at cards and go, well, this is gonna be amazing because I could play ten of these and fifteen of these and stuff like that, you're dreaming, right? You're liking what we call like when I played Magic, we had Magic Christmas Land, like where you just like, like have these like <laughs> ideas and you're just like, this is so great. But how practical is it going to be? We don't know until we see the
2: sets and they start to play right. out, right? How I'm, likely are you to get that true. thing, be able to do the thing? Yep, yep.
1: For mass mutations, I know our team on Kip we, we play tested over 1,000 different mass mutation decks that were discovered through our own algorithms. Mm-hmm. So you wow. sometimes really have to roll up your sleeves and play to really understand what you're getting at. And when it pops out some of the really wild decks that our team was able to procure for the set, it comes out of a lot of hard work nobody in the community sees.
2: Right. Now, I, how, how many games are you playing yourself a week to be able to, to burn through decks that quickly as a team? Uh,
1: there's a big incentive to rush when a set is released. In fact, we usually start prior to a set's release by theorycrafting ourselves and building our own algorithms behind the scene. Um, and then we playtest concepts as best as we can before a set drops. Uh, because we'd like to target between 1 and 2,000 play-tested games within the first four weeks of a set release to refine our algorithm. And that usually gives us a pretty good jump over a SaaS algorithm. So like, for example, some, one of my decks is like a 91 SaaS deck right now, but I bought it when it was 76 mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. couple weeks of set release. And it's won multiple tournaments. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, uh, you, know, you get a lot of payoff for a lot of hard work.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. That's, yeah. Kind of, that's kind of like where I've been too. Like I I've like had decks like Inca and stuff where it's like when they first when I first got Inca, it was like in the 70s, like 78, like way back in the old SAS and like it was like. Not great, but like now it's like up, and it like you know, it's like it keeps going up, like it keeps going up and up, mm-hmm. because and that's the, like really, if you're wondering how SAS is a value to you, it's like when you do find your decks that you like and stuff like that. If you have a deck that constantly goes up one or two points every SAS update, that means you did a well, a good job of defining something that SAS was missing, right? And like that means that you have a better eye than maybe some other people. Um, if your deck is going down in value, it's because you overhyped cards that you looked at that you thought were going to be great and they ended up not being as 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 uh, as broken as people think they were. And some some cards even like like I would say Amphora Captura is one of these cards where the card is actually brilliant and Curiosora like those are those cards are both brilliant but they have a very finite like type of playline that you need to play with them kind of and like so like some decks they highlight and some decks they don't. And with that said, like I, I we could transition to Heart of the Forest because this is exactly the the problem that Heart of the Forest has, I think, right Jason?
1: Yes. part of the forest is a is a serious challenge getting its SAS ratings right because of the nature of what makes it powerful so it tends to be chronically undervalued by SAS, but that's that's not a that's not a strike against SAS. it's more of the nature of it being really peculiar relative to how cards are typically evaluated
2: or it's hard to score right very hard to score
0: or, or is it a product of the sum of decks versus the value of a good heart of the forest deck because the biggest problem i have with heart of the forest is that a lot of the decks don't have a win con like they yeah. just they don't have a way to like play heart of the forest in in because like if they have no artifact removal and you play heart of the forest the game should be yours like you should have a way to win but yeah that doesn't happen often and that's where most of the hate for heart of the forest i believe comes from How, what would you think of that theory
1: i think that's fair i think i used to say that heart of the forest is one of the worst designed cards <laughs> um in Keyforge, maybe even the worst design card but i i guess in further reflection over time i think well i would refine that statement and say the supporting algorithms to the heart of the forest are what make it so poor the fact that it doesn't require algorithmically a key cheat to be a part of the mix. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I've played a deck with no key cheat where I wild wormhole into a heart of the forest and neither <laughs> deck had. I didn't even play it on purpose, and all of a sudden the game state was irrevocably changed and unwinnable if no one wanted to win the game. Like, wow. wanted to push the game to the end the state. So, like, that's a serious design error with it. But that's not something. that's something you would see more in casual play, you wouldn't see that in competitive play, a uh, Heart of Forest without a win condition. Most aggrieving is that some people will bring a Heart of Forest deck to a competitive scene with its only win condition being some sort of go-to-time element. And mm-hmm. that is something to be concerned about as, as card design. That is antithesis to game design. You know, yeah, yeah that feels go.
2: bad, right? Because you, you, you're counting on drawing it out, you're counting on almost your opponent having a a bad time. Which yeah. why why would you want to do that? I, I feel like really quickly we should we should actually say what Heart of the Forest does in case some folks don't remember. It is a rare card. So Heart of the Forest is an artifact. It gives an ember when you play it. And it says each player cannot forge keys while they have more forged keys than their opponent. And so that's why that's why you can you can lock down the game where uh, nobody wants to forge because they'll let their opponent win uh, when their opponent then has enough Ember to forge their third key at the start of the next turn. So it's, uh, it's a weird, weird card.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of times when you're playing Heart of the Forest too, like um, I think the best Heart of the Forest decks are actually quite aggressive off the go um and then like they and when i say aggressive it doesn't mean that they're generating amber i think like one of the biggest detriments in any heart of the forest deck is your raw amber count like if you have too high of a raw amber count without effective spells to go with it like you're just hurting yourself like really bad like that that's when the deck kind of feels bad all around for you and like then you get mad at heart of the forest because you're just like i don't know how i could win with this deck if i'm making all this amber and i'm making being forced into keys but um Jason, how do you feel about Well Rome? so
2: that that was so I, I saw you added that to the notes and that was a interesting statement to me because when I think about I, I hadn't thought about Heart of the Forest that way. Now, I don't have a good Heart of the Forest deck. I, I have one with a key cheat, but it's otherwise pretty terrible, so it uh, doesn't do anything, so no efficiency, so you can't get to the right stuff. But um but I think, oh I, I want to have a decent amount of Ember because I want to put myself in a position Right, where they have two keys, I have one, and then I wanna forge at the beginning of my turn and I wanna burst. I wanna play a whole bunch of ember and then key cheat. So so why don't you want a lot of a lot of ember in your deck?
0: Well, I'll respond and we'll let Jason the pro talk about it but like, the reason I don't want a lot of Amber in my deck is because then, then what happens is if I'm behind it makes it impossible to catch up because like, all, anytime you play Amber you're basically detrimenting your position with Heart of the Forest and like, then your opponent has ways with Saurians and other cards to give you Amber or to find ways to create Amber for you and then you're just put in a position where you lose Um, and so a well, high raw Amber means that like at some point you're going to handcuff yourself from your strategy if your strategy isn't super direct like playing nature's call three times with two chodas or whatever like which doesn't exist but you get the idea <laughs> well, <lucky> it. <laughs>
1: what it, it almost exists there's a there's a double nature's call with multiple full moons where you can play choda three times that yeah. fact does exist yes i know <laughs> but um uh, so uh so i think you know macro picture the way i've always Thought of Heart of the Forest. And, and one of the ways to categorize is I think we've already touched base on the Heart of the Forest that doesn't work deck, right? Mm-hmm. But then there are categories or tiers. I used to do a tier list of Heart of the Forests that did work, but worked to varying degrees of efficacy. And somewhere at the bottom of that list is I've got a Heart of the Forest and a key cheat, but I don't have a good burst mechanic and therefore I have a very, very hard time going from key two to key three in almost any game state. And that's maybe one of the lower ones, and you could, I could explore each tier, but that would be one of the lower ones. A little bit higher would be, I've got a good burst mechanic, I've got the key cheat, but I have a really slow efficiency deck, and so therefore I may not be able to get to my Heart of the Forest There's another layer of issues, mm-hmm. another tier. Another tier might be one that says, I have a good uh, burst mechanic. I also have a key cheat, and I have a good F in my deck, good efficiency, um, so I can get there quickly and reliably to create a Heart of the Forest game state. But, hey, I get hit by some any R at all in the game, and my deck collapses. And then the final top-tier decks have... All of those components, they have good efficiency, they have the key cheat, they have a burst condition, and they have what I call artifact insurance. But that typically is just two cards. It's either a nep seeds or a glimmer. That means if someone hard R's my heart, I can yeah. bring it back mm-hmm. and I can be protected against a loss condition. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking for completeness of deck. Um, and so depending on your level of competitiveness of your heart of the forest will kind of tell you where you're sort of tiered out in there and and the best decks of course have all of those things and some a few also have the ability to key cheat multiple keys at the end of the game not just one mm-hmm. which allows them to play around cards like control the weak stealth mode different cards that could lock them out and force them into a gain loss condition so there are different levels of completeness to heart of the Forests. Yeah. Um,
0: I would theorize that, like, in the minimal, like, I know, like, I I'm curious from your standpoint, but I would theorize that the number one loss condition for, like, Heart of the Forest decks is basically your opponent, like, not having a key out and your opponent getting you to that second key, and then you're basically stuck in limbo between key two and three, where they're able to sneak in and take a victory. I, I'd say that's probably the the most common thing that I've seen with Heart of the Forest, a little bit that I've seen it.
1: But you can usually play around that. I guess what you'd see if you watched me play often would be, I will often discard cards that have amber pips or generate amber on them Mm -hmm. to control my amber in the game Mm -hmm. so as to not be forced onto keys if a a deck is good at exalting or pushing amber Mm -hmm. onto my deck. Um, But that's very specific to the matchup. I think one of the things that Heart of the Forest, I've I've seen from, the most is a low F version of a heart of the forest where you bottom deck your heart of the forest and your opponent blitzes and wins out by turn six or seven. And you just couldn't cycle your deck hard enough mm-hmm. to get to a heart of the forest. That's one of the most feels bad heart of the forest experiences. If, especially when your opponent may not have any answer and you're just, you know, if you just play it if the game is over, that's, that's a pretty tough spot. So we benchmark as a team, Heart of the Forest um, on turns to heart play, which is a really interesting way to benchmark it. And that's driven by underlying efficiency of the deck, primarily.
2: So that's the average uh, number of turns it's going to take you to play that Heart of Forest. That's basically what that is.
1: Correct. correct. And usually if you can play it by turn five or six reliably almost every game, you can can create any game into a Heart of the Forest
2: game. That's pretty good. It's it's hard, even for a really good... First deck to, to get there that quickly, you know.
1: Correct. This so it depends cool. on how, yeah, right, how competitive of a deck you're trying to figure out sure. how good your deck needs to be. But that's we benchmark against uh, Voltor winning style decks. So our, at the tippy end of the, scale, the far end of the scale, it's got to be something exceptional. You have to be quick, and you have to be able to get there in a way that prevents that loss condition as much as possible.
2: Sure, sure. But I think you know if you go up against a heart deck in a uh, well, I, it, maybe anything except the Vault Tour situation where you, you, you can benchmark that much. I, I think if you don't have Hard R, the best thing for you to do is just try to go fast, right? Put out as many cards as yeah. you can, reap as much as you can, play, just, just make Ember. Don't even worry about stopping your opponent.
1: It, it you would That would be the general bucket of, of the correct answer. However, I will say from playing many hundreds of games with Heart of the Forest, it tends to be... Ex- much more complicated in in practical terms than what anyone expects it to be. Because usually people will say, look, I have no R. If Heart of the Forest comes down, I just auto-lose, right? And you can watch the light in people's eyes fade <laughs> with <when> Heart <laughs> Drop. And, they ha- and, the, and the thing is, as a Heart player, at least especially as one who knows their my opponent's deck's ability to beat a Heart better than they know it, I know that they usually almost always have Many lines of play, but there's this sort of discouragement that happens to your opponent when you play it that they sort of mentally check out and they stop thinking of creative lines to beat it. And a really great example was what Jupiter led with, which was a game in my Premier League where I beat my opponent's Heart of the Forest without having any hard R, but it was a very out of the box line of play and very specific to my exact deck and what I could do to create a win condition that would not normally ever exist. And he was
0: playing against event. his teammate, Grant, who is not a slouch at playing out of the reverse. Either. So it's not like he like scrubbed out on some guy that, that that just picked up part of the force and played. He was playing against a very practiced and known. Mm-hmm. And from what Grant says, Jason does this to, to them all the time. So oh,
1: Much <laughs> grief do <you> think? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I think it can be so- very... You can create very... Go ahead.
2: Yeah, so I haven't watched this game, and I bet you a number of our listeners haven't either. So tell us, how did, how did you go about uh, defeating Grant there? So
1: I had a deck with no hard R against the Heart of the Forest deck. And the gist of it was I utilized um, the Infernuses in my deck to purge my entire deck down to seven cards. And one of those cards was a Triumph. Six of those cards were actually, it might have been eight. Six of the cards were minions, and one was a Kirby's blaster. So I played Kirby to play a triumph, played the blaster on Kirby, redrew the triumph, and replayed the triumph to double key cheat on my opponent because he had gone to two keys and was at two keys in 1620 amber, and he thought he had me locked. And one of the things that in that matchup, Grant felt that. And knew from playtesting that I could purge my entire deck, but he thought I'd purge it down to stealth mode and do a, a hard lock to lock him out of the game. So he actually didn't think that I could play Triumph twice in one turn on an off mm-hmm. Saurian turn, but I created the right deck construct to do that. And I started that process on turn one of the game. I literally first turn mm-hmm. discarded a Rot Grub and infurnaced it and began the long process of. Making that win condition on that board state condition that took 25 turns to evolve. Interesting, to 25 win. turns.
2: Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, it that, was a
1: monster. monster
0: yeah, that goes to show you guys that are like out there learning how to play keepers or like just thing, and even some of the pros. Like when you do your two minute deck analysis, like at a real tournament, like when we go back to real times and you can't really use all the notes and stuff that people are using now in like quick cheats, like. What you take off of your two minutes of looking at your opponent's card and stuff like that is probably the most crucial two minutes of your game um, because you're basically you have to identify how your opponent wins you have to identify how you win you have to identify where your walls are going to be and you have to navigate through them and um, this is something that playing online is really handicapping i've said this before in in multiple places but this is something that you really have to put in your head jason you're a a vault tour player Am, am i wrong in that thought
1: no you're not in fact i know our team works on memorization techniques to give ourselves a competitive advantage for face-to-face play Mm -hmm. because a lot of players will only remember three or four cards off the list but we try to remember as close to 36 as possible Mm -hmm. within those two minutes so we have a lot of mental uh tricks that we're developing Mm -hmm. to try and be efficient with those two minutes Mm -hmm. to allow us to try to keep a constant log of of those cards and then in game I, i i personally try to keep a a mental rolling count of the number of outstanding house cards in each player's deck, so I can kind of pr- do predictive analysis mm-hmm. on what my opponent's likely to do. And Those things help a lot, and yeah. those were not typical player skills, I would
0: yeah, I think that that's what puts people in the elite quote unquote pro level is like when you start basically computing that kind of data in that kind of way. And um, I just I say it over and over again, because if you really want to get good at Key and go to Vault Tours and be the person that's going to make a dent at Worlds, this is the kind of mindset you have to develop. And being on TCO for a year plus now and not having live events or not playing like in real persons or like practicing these things, if you're not doing it, you're already way behind like I know I've been working on my own mental stuff. Like online, I hardly ever look at my opponent's deck even to start playing. I just look at the houses they have and I just play against the houses about like going, what if they had the best possible three houses that they could possibly have, which is detrimental in some in some ways. But at the same time, like it lets me see clever things and like figure clever things out or get beat by things that I didn't think about. So and I'm, that's how I play. That's why like, I think I have like a 30% win rate or something on DCO. Cause most of the time <laughs> I'm dealing with kids and I'm just like flying through my deck it but, um, but when I sit down and I play play like I, I do the same like where I, I I look at the deck list in the beginning I, I find and identify and I'm I've been working on rapid ways myself to, to identify the things and the, the order of the way I want to do and what I need to absolutely memorize kind of thing um I don't like memorizing 36 cards I think that's pretty heavy like that a lot of people are gonna be able
1: to yeah do. It's heavy. We work on it. It is really hard. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's really hard. But I think identifying, like, your scaling amber control, your board wipes, your spot removal, your, like, disruption tools, like, things like that. Like, those are all things that, like, you have to kind of just come up with what works for you. And, like, everybody has a different level. Um, And the better you are at it, the better I think you are going to be in competitive tournaments, right?
1: Definitely. It, it, you're, you're trying to, and I think like, this is just general play discussion, but... Mm-hmm um i spend a lot of time trying to refine my lines so say i have like an exceptional deck and it's sitting mm-hmm. at 85 percent win rate i usually am not happy unless i can figure out where i can improve my lines of play that might improve outcomes by one percent mm-hmm. half a percent and i try to track those so you know those small little subtleties do matter those edge cases mm. and knowledge does drive results on that
0: it's it's like your team was named after that principle.
1: A little bit, a little bit.
0: (laughs) And I'll say this: that you had three people that qualified for KFPL this season, and three people made the 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 cut. So, like, uh, you know, you're seeing seeing results there, at least in that nature. Um, But um, ABR had two people, and two people made the cut, even though Hobo, like, I think, still should count towards ABR. But
1: (laughs) well, the ABR guys are are really up and coming and fantastic, and Siak has been amazing for as long as I've ever played against Shaka, against
0: Yeah, Shaka is, like, like, so good. Yeah, he's really good. He's, like, easily their best of people. And if you watch Call of the Week to spot them, um, him and Robin are talking and stuff, but Shaka is, like, always on point with his analysis and the way he sees the game. Um, and he's just a great guy. Like, he'll talk to anybody about things. So, like, he's absolutely wonderful. And um, to watch him grow from season one to season two has been great. Um I, I want to say that some of the people from season one just had nerves in season one for no reason, like, cause it was such a new thing. But, um, because like this season, like some of the people like, did like some people took it way more serious than others. And like, you could tell, and then like, like, it seems like halfway through the season, people like woke up and were like, man, this is going to be hard. I need to push. Like, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm pretty happy with the results and season three is going to be even more fun. So I'm excited for that. Speaking of which, you're qualified for season three, so congratulations! Oh, I'm
1: excited about that. I was I was excited how the re- final results played out. Yeah, for my yeah, Because
0: yeah, you're you're a long shot to get first in that group, and like uh like with Goat, the way he had been playing, I was actually kind of shocked that he wasn't able to close the deal. But
1: I didn't I didn't have any uh, control of my own destiny from like week three. All I could do was put up the W's from that point forward. Which is I did my part. Yeah, I, I created the, the line of opportunity, and I but he had to. To trip there at the end in order for me to kind of sail across
2: the line. You know, there's a lot of people that Sometimes in, in this and... game, all you could do, right, is is try to play to those lines, right? <laughs>
1: yep. Figure yeah. out that's yeah, all I can do.
2: Look at Rodeo. So, like, so like, uh if you talk about so take it back to Heart of the Forest. So if we if we think about, hey, you you come in, you see your opponent has Heart of a Forest, right? We talked about a couple of key things out of the gate, right? Your key cheats, whatnot. What are the second tier cards that you're looking for in your opponent's deck if you're trying to think about how do I beat this guy who's bringing this Heart of Forest? Yeah,
1: so someone brings Heart of the Forest. I think one of the, the, the keys to recognizing a Heart of the Forest matchup, and this, this cuts both directions. One is um, people either fixate too much on Heart of the Forest or not enough on Heart of the Forest. In the matchup so you sit down you read the card and you're like either dreading the card and thinking only and exclusively about it or you're thinking nothing about it (laughs) and as the heart of the forest player what ends up happening is it's only a heart of the forest game when the heart of the forest player determines it's going to be a heart of the forest game and so if my opponent overplays one strategy the other ignore heart of the forest play too much into the heart of the forest then I can pivot at the right moment to create the maximum stress in the game. And so a good example of someone who overfixated in the Heart of the Forest was in my Premier League match, I had an opponent who held Poltergeist for 11 turns. I never played Heart of the Forest, but they chained themselves 11 cards. And if you think about stepping into a Premier League level game and chaining yourself 11 cards, it's going to hurt, right? On the flip side, like you said, if you just Blitz Amber... Then and you don't think about Heart of the Forest and you play through. Maybe you have a hard hour, but you just play through it. You drop it right away, and you have to rely on getting back through your second deck cycle. You may lose the game because you overextend it into a strategy. And so, uh, Heart of the Forest punishes people who are unfamiliar with how to sit down and play a Heart of the Forest because they don't have the expertise to be watching how the game develops and they play too hard into strategy. That tends to be the case. So when you're sitting down, you have to think carefully about what your Heart of the Forest opponent is attempting to do. If you can look at how do they want to build their end game state condition, what things need to fall into place for that end game state to happen? When do I think they're playing too slow, too fast? Efficiency lines I'm talking about. How should I push? it's a much more nuanced game play state than people give it credit for because they view it into a binary way. And so as opponent to Heart of the Force, you need to really consider the play out and real-time adapt to how the play out is working. Yeah. That fog of war element to the game in the match that people almost always get wrong tends to make it so that the heart of the forest player has an extremely outsized advantage over the non heart of the forest player because of the lines taken in game and they don't even realize it and it makes for a feels bad experience but the reality is is oftentimes the non-heart of the forest player has some viable lines isn't sure how to play them or execute them and it gets punished for them that's that's been my experience
0: Yeah, and in your description, something I think that uh, we could take away from that is very important to the way that games are played is that um, a lot of players, like, get caught up in the type of deck that they're playing they want to be a rush deck or they want to be a mid-range deck or they want to be a control deck and um, a lot of decks in keyforge have multiple ways to be played and like different ways to go but they seem to fixate like you said on that like binary line and i think that's a product of the way coda played right because i think coda was very binary in the overall way that it played and then like we started seeing advanced like aoa started advancing the technique right and then worlds collide came along and advanced it even more mass mutations even more and uh, now we're seeing more of a whole like you know like interaction like what are you doing and like it's almost like a judo it's like I'm, we're grabbing collars and we're trying to knock each other off balance and like and it's like i think that um a lot of players still haven't got off of the code of mindset. Like, how, how do you feel about that? I know you've been around since day one. So,
1: how do I feel about that? I think that's a pretty good analysis. Um, and I think that that tends to be true. And so, I would say when I play Heart of the Forest, one of the, the tests I tend to use is I take lines just to see how my opponent will respond to them. Sometimes, like, for example, uh, I might blitz and try to gain a bunch of amber just to see if they hit a panic button or to see if they're just like tuned out thinking that it's only heart of force and the amber doesn't matter and then i decide at one point to break the game one direction or the other do i break into just a normal game of keyforge or do i pull back at the last second and i gauge their reaction to what i'm doing and then i punish or try to punish for a miscalculation um and i think that it can work both ways but It becomes very cat and mouse in a Heart of the Forest match, more than even most matches, which is like most matches tend to be more technical. But because Heart of the Forest changes the nature of the game completely, it tends to catch people off off guard. And, you know, I lean into that in my playouts a lot.
0: Yeah, and in in this series the cards that we're talking about like the Quixel Stones, the Heart of the Forests and the, you know the Curious Swords and stuff. These are cards that basically the reason we're we're highlighting them is because they're hard pivot cards. They're cards that like when they get played, they're being controlled by one of the players that is just changing the landscape of how the game is played. Um, this is kind of like with Dark Tidings, the tide counter coming into play. I think it's going to really hurt older sets because they're going to have mechanics that can deal with tide counter and like make the tide counter play to their favor. And that could be huge. I don't know because we haven't had time to play, but I think that, that it, that's kind of like why we're having this series and discussion. But uh, what do you got for us, like,
2: uh So I'm, I'm curious, actually, when, when you were, were talking, I was just thinking about how you were describing, manipulating the game, or at least, or at least very much reading what your opponent is doing. So, so I'm imagining now you have Heart of the Forest, and you know you you look at your opponent's deck list and you see they got one Poltergeist or one Hawk or something like that, and that's mm-hmm. it. Are you playing to try to detect when they have it in their hand and play accordingly? Are you trying to just set yourself up to um, um, try to force them to play it early and cycle back? Like what 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 are you trying to do there?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking, things can play out a million different ways with even just one hawk. Let's just say they have a hawk or a poltergeist because those are pretty straightforward. Um, I love to try and play parts or artifacts because my decks tend to be artifact heavy that can try to bait it out. But the (laughs) thing I look for is that they take, say, a disc turn, but they seem to play an oddly low number of discards, right? for the, the turn that they want to take and, and sort of implies that they're holding a card back. So yeah, I try to read them and you can kind of tell this is kind of from old poker days, but you can kind of tell if people are getting nervous or they're showing some anxiety about you know how they're responding. So there is very much an element to trying to get a read on what my opponent wants to do. And then if I do think I have a read on them, I'll play do the play out in a way that creates the most discomfort for them. So if I think that they're holding Poltergeist, and I think they've just got like a hard, tight grip on it, and I know that they're chaining themselves, if they're not bursting far enough ahead on Amber, I will also chain myself because my deck's building towards a structural and game state that I like, typically faster than their deck is or in a way that their deck isn't prepared to deal with. On the flip side, if they do a playthrough, they just drop the Geist, I totally pivot... My strategy, you know, because I want to beat them before they're likely to redraw that card in a certain case. So it is very subject to what they're doing and what I think that they need to do. And if I think that like, they play the Poltergeist too early, I will definitely lean into that because I know the number, like in the deck that we're talking for my Premier League deck, I know it wins in twelve turns on average, and I can kind of gauge pretty effectively in the first three to four turns to know. Am I ahead or behind that 12-turn playout average? And so I can figure if they're going to deck cycle or not. And I know if they play the guys say, too early, and they're not going to cycle back in time, I can take different lines to set up for my endgame state than I would if I think that they're holding it, and I need to be mindful of the deck turns. And so I like to play it when uh, right at the end... If, if they're chaining themselves, I like to play it in such a way that when they respond, they're doing it on their deck turn and the Geist is out for an entire next, next deck cycle. So there's a lot of subtlety to everything. People, again, think that heart tends to function in binary way, but you win and lose matches a lot on this sort of chess-like game that gets developed, even with somebody with an answer, um, and getting a having good awareness on how the playout needs to proceed. And it, it does take a lot of play to really understand that. And the penalties i remember early on when i first started doing heart decks right after aoa was released the severe penalty for for playing a heart of the forest deck poorly is like instant loss it is extremely poor you can turn a auto win matchup into auto lose because as a heart player you made a misplay and so some people think that hey i just dropped my heart of force now i'm on easy street for the rest of a game, if the game looks favorable, but it is not usually that way at all. It's usually a really intense day, which is what makes it a challenge at a Vault Tour, for example, because you know if you're going to go play at a Vault Tour with a Heart of the Forest deck, you're going to be playing 30 minute games probably all day long. And every single card and every single decision you're making the entire way through, the entire day, is going to matter. And you can easily throw a game by making a play error. And that creates a lot of continuous stress today, the day, and it's exhausting to play. It's the most exhausting deck archetype I think you can take to a vault tour because it is so punitive if you make an error and your opponent exploits it. Now, typically, your opponents make the players, but you can't play errors, but you can't play down to an opponent playing ineffectively because they could still hit you with the wrong thing because you played sloppy. Um, so it doesn't really afford you much mental respite through the course of a day. That's definitely one of the really practical, difficult challenges of playing Heart of the Forest.
2: Mm-hmm. But you must enjoy it because you brought one of these decks to Albany, the, the penultimate, I guess, of Voltor yeah. at this point. Uh, yeah. So that you're into it. it. Yeah, well, I like to win. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll 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 do the log games if uh, if you'd like to win, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that Voltour was a su- survival and uh, Mother, the name of the deck that I played, went 5-0, but I didn't play it in day two um, just because I didn't want the binary uh, of some of the matchups for day two. Got uh, it. But but it, it was a great deck for that day. I didn't lose any games. And, and I would say, to Jupiter's point, you know, Jupiter had a deck that could beat me, but I would say three out of five of my opponents that day had decks that could pretty reasonably beat Mother, but it went 5-0. and oh. That just tells you Practice. how flat-footed it can catch people
0: yeah practice like i had no i was out of my element with it because i had not really put work into it so like i had no idea where i was going i was like clueless as far as like (laughs) i was like i know there's things i should be doing and getting to but if i don't get to them and he drew really well too like he drew his memory chip early and like was just putting it on on me and it made stress like he said like and then the stress got in my head and i'm just like I know I need to do things, but like, what do I need to do? And then I'm second guessing my choices and stuff. And that comes with being ill prepared. Um, so, again, no. make sure you play the decks that you know how to play. <laughs> like, it's very important.
1: <laughs> that, and I think, um, you know, Heart of the Forest has a stigma in the community. And I think that's a little bit of a shame because it does actually the community a disservice because, and that's why I wanted to take this interview. And I like to take interviews after mm-hmm. the Heart of the Forest games in the Premier League because what I really want to encourage people is not to be scared of the deck, but to understand it because if you understand it, you'll perform better against it mm-hmm. and people realize it's not actually as scary as it seems. And it doesn't deserve the negative stigma that it does that it's typically gets. And people sort of build that fear element up about the card. Mm-hmm. And it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. People ban it from events. And then, therefore, people don't know how to play against it. And then when they do play against it, because they don't know how to play against it, they underperform. And then that sort of creates this loop where people put it in a box, get scared of it. And, of course, that gives me an advantage in, a, in an event. But I'd rather see the community get educated and understand how to, to beat these decks and, and how to sort of understand them. Because they do create really great puzzles to play in. People may not agree with me on that, but I think they create fascinating in-game state puzzles mm-hmm. where you get rewarded for outthinking your opponent, and that's really rewarding for some people.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment as well. And I, I think that part of the idea too is is that like we're asking like people, like maybe casuals or whatever, to basically look at the competitive lines and say. You know, like, I'm not overly competitive player. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a semi-competitive player. You're a very competitive player, obviously. Um, and, like, uh, you know, so, like, I kind of teeter on the line so I can kind of see both sides of it. And I think that what we're asking people to do is, like, to think for themselves. And I know that sounds crazy, but, like, the idea is that a lot of people, a lot of people, like, they listen to somebody and they basically go, well, this person knows what they're talking about. So they must be alpha. Like Omega, like like SaaS, right? Like, oh, SaaS has to be the end-all, of be-alls and stuff. And I think SaaS has value. Everything that anybody says has a value because it gives you a perspective to think about. But in the end it's your work ethic and it's the things that you do to prepare yourself that sets you ahead of everybody else right and like um, like I said in Albany I was ready to go with Inca Inca had all the reps she took me to four and one and then like or or three and one and basically then from there out I didn't win a game and all I had to do is win one game to make day two and I couldn't win a game because I was playing two decks I was not familiar with and I basically stepped on my own toes and didn't play decks that I knew um whereas you have Jason who's playing his heart of the forest deck which should go to time right like because people don't know but he's played it so many times and he knows how to discard cards and save time and cut corners and put himself into these pivot positions that matter that he goes five and zero with it and then he makes a decision not to play it day two for some reason but
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you if i want to tie a bow on that i end up playing against galaxy which mm. uh luke was playing mm-hmm. and it would have been a disaster to play mother against uh, galaxy which has poltergeist with nep seeds to bring it back and control the weak so it can lock me out and just win. Yeah. So it was actually a good de- decision even though I also still lost, but I had a I had a deck that would have performed better.
2: A better chance. Yeah. So so all right. So if I'm in that situation, let's say I'm I'm going to an event, right? Maybe maybe it's a chain bound. Maybe it's more serious. I don't know. Maybe it's a prime or or maybe it is even Voltor. If I'm looking at my opponent's deck, they have a Heart of the Forest. It looks it looks solid. I'm looking at my deck. I don't have Hard R. Mm-hmm. What, what are some things I should be quickly thinking through in my head? Like, okay, what, what are some tools I can use to try to eke out a victory here? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question.
1: And I, and I think there are some, some buckets of, of answers, and then there's lots of just small elements to it. So say you analyze your Heart of Forest opponent's deck, You have a, a card, Control of the Weak they can only ever produce one key when you look at their list. So they have to go to key two on the, on the merits and then they burst into their third key. If you have control of the week, you can put them into a house where they can't burst and you put them into a game losing state condition, for example. Uh, control of the week is extremely powerful that way. And of course, a little less relevant, but mark of, mark of disc still exists now. And, and some Heart of the Force players may play more sloppy than I do and, and play into a, a, a mark. Um, scenario where they can get locked out of their burst condition and just drop the game. That's definitely something that happens. Another general bucket, more um, of a World's Clyde thing, is you have a bunch of exalt mechanics or ways to create amber on your minions and dump them onto your opponent and force them onto a key, which suddenly puts them into a state where they need to figure out a burst condition. Um, that might be another thing. You, you might be evaluating your deck through that lens, and that is a viable way to do it. Um, you just force them to either have the combo early or they get into an awkward position where they lose. Um, another is you force your opponent into what are seemingly inefficient turns. The strategy there is if you force the heart player into inefficient turns, they may not be able to draw their heart of the forest in time, and you might be able to... Sneak out your three keys before they can even draw that card. That one may sound a little bit like luck, but sometimes that is your your best line to play if you're evaluating a Heart of the Forest deck and you don't have any hard R. Other ones that are sort of akin to um, the control weak is if you have stealth mode, for example. Um, you might be able to just block them out from using their actions on their burst turn and force them into a game losing condition. Um, you might have an Eaton's Jar when you can block a part of their combo that allows them to burst into a win condition. Uh, and, and also, that, that one might look like a little bit more hard arc because you might just be able to block the heart of the forest to begin with. Um,
2: but it's good to mention, because if, if you, they get out heart early before you get your jar, you still have options.
1: Yes, you do. You're definitely not out of it if you know how to break the combo. And that, and that again, goes to maybe what Jupiter was saying, was like, if it, online, you can have perfect information, but against uh, in real life, after you had your two minutes, if you forget how that heart of the heart wants to burst on you, and you don't know what elements you're exactly looking for of what they're how they're going to finish you off, it puts you at a serious disadvantage. So that's why paying attention to understanding how much amber they can burst with, how many keys they can cheat, really does matter um, to you. And one of the one of the ones ways I've seen it do is also make keys cost a lot. Um, you know, some a lot of, say, Chota slash key charge versions of Untamed a heart deck only can create so much amber in one turn. And if you can make it so they can't close the deal because you've got a Faust and 10 minions with amber and they just can't get there or an edi that they just can't kill because their deck lacks spot removal and they can't establish a board state to fight it off, you need to know how to fend off the, the heart combo and so that's why i say there's a lot of ways to beat heart of force that aren't just the hard r instant snap victory um it's just a lot of people don't you know say protect their 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 eddie or they don't make the key cost awkward they don't know how to keep the math from checking out so the heart of the force players continuously stymied um, and, and so there are we see that there are also really other creative ways, things like Strange Gizmo, where the non Heart of the Forest player doesn't go to key two and they just wait. They, they don't have like hard R per se, but they hold off from bursting on Amber and they just hold it so that the opponent can't play Heart of the Forest and lock them out on key two because all they've got is a gizmo. I've seen people take those lines. I mean, there are a lot grump buggies keeping, you know, I'm just like, there are so many different ways to create the block to make it very hard but in order to do any of those you have to have an awareness of how the heart deck exactly wants to finish the match and what line that that person's going to be playing to to execute their vision and so i could just keep rattling off examples because there are so many of them and i have struggled against all of them at some point (laughs) and so I, I acutely appreciate it, but oftentimes I would say, and this is just the big education comment yet again, which is oftentimes my opponents don't recognize how they can give my deck a hard time and play through or don't protect that line. And once I get through that, that, that challenge, I, I'm set to, to win the match, um, and I watch for it, and I know it better than they do. And that kind of goes back to the other point I made, which is it's either a heart game when I want it to be, or it won't be a heart game. And if someone overplays or underplays, I'm watching. So if they have a way to grief my win condition, but they can't just like hard stop it, but they play through that, they green lighted me to play a heart game versus they block it and they're making it a challenge for me and I have to adapt. So again, those, those examples are, are almost endless. There's so many ways to do them. Um, just it's very much up to your own deck. So you have to have an awareness of how your deck could block the win condition of a Heart of the Forest.
2: Yeah, if, know, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think a lot of players don't want to play against... They don't want to practice against the Heart of Forest, because, oh, uh, why mm-hmm. do I want to play a Heart of the Forest, right? So they don't get practice with that counter. And I know I, know I don't have a lot of practice against that counter. Maybe, maybe I should. Maybe I should uh, force Jupiter to, to grab a Heart of the Forest deck and play against me more. <laughs>
1: It, it, it uh, you know, I would say Art of Forest is best reserved for high level play, in my opinion, for the game because you don't want to go smash a bunch of casual players with it. It's just a, yeah, it's a bad feeling for a lot of players. But if you are, like, say, in the Premier League or you're trying to play at that level, you should be repping against a deck like that. There's not a lot of players will play them, but when you play it and you are caught totally flat-footed, it is, I've it is, creates a struggle. It creates a very much a struggle. I speak. Um,
0: I speak from experience against Jason on that because Albany was miserable for me. <laughs> 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 that, that, that was probably the most unenjoyable game I've ever played, as far as uh, my mental state went. Because like I just threw, like I was just like, man, I'm just throwing this game right out the window. <laughs> like I recognized that I could win that game. I just had no clue how to execute it. So.
1: Yeah, and once you're tilted, then you're not evaluating it through like a clear lens which is what i saw you do like that's what happened before we started the game i said well i think you you've got what you need to beat me here Mm -hmm. and i did draw uh, in a way that made the obvious counter not work Mm -hmm. but you had some additional counters but Mm -hmm. i think you were so uh tilted because of the play out yeah i just didn't know
0: where i was going and then i totally forgot about chota like because i was like so tilted i totally forgot i was like oh yeah he's gonna chota me out like I didn't even think about it. I was I already past right. the point of, I was checked out like long before that.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that happens. That happens. I had, I had another game uh, in that same event where my opponent generated, had a pile of two keys and 90
2: plus Amber. Yeah.
0: That was, Jay. Yeah. that was a uh, big foolish. Big J. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: I remember talking to him. He was telling me about, it. I had so much amber.
1: <laughs> it was. And I've never seen someone happier in a game of KeyForge than he was just, he stole like 20 amber from me in one turn. I did a knowledge's power for like 25 amber. It was, it was amazing, and you've never seen someone happier. It was it was incredible, and it was his loss was inevitable, but it was
2: he enjoyed every moment of the. He process. was gonna he was gonna make it last as long as it could. Oh, uh,
1: it was it was joyous. I, I, I never had that much fun playing with my deck.
2: I think
0: somebody told me in that game though he had a pocket to win and he missed it. Like there was he didn't somebody... have
1: he, he had a line, but he was so fixate this again he was so fixated on you he, he had the subtle uh the chain gangs, and yeah. he was just having a great time stealing like three ember from me a turn, making me discard half my hand, but he had actual legitimate lines um that he could have could have explored there, but they were uh, they were unusual lines, and they weren't something that you would normally see, and he was so in the groove playing twenty turns in a row, just making me discard my half my hand every turn. Uh he was in the groove and I was ha- I was happy that he was happy and um you know but it it does create some weird stuff. Yeah. Third play up.
0: I, I, I think that this, like, just goes to speak, to about, like, those pockets that we keep talking about. Like, um, as something happens in every game, not just Heart of the Forest games, but there's always, like, this game is all about micro decisions and, like, where you're going with those micro decisions. And you're not going to ever have a game where you make 100% of the right call because, like, you don't know what your opponent's really sitting on. So, like, but the more... Like micro decisions that you make, the 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 better your your outcome is going to be, and the more prepped you are for it, the better you are. And recognizing what walls and pockets that you need to get to to get to a win condition in your deck is huge. And again, that just goes back to you know the repetitions and the knowledge of how the game is played and stuff like that. And I think that. Um, With all the, the, like I said, the shortcuts and stuff that some people take online, like um, you're just hindering your ability to play when we go back to real tournaments. Like if you really want to get ready for Vault Warrior and you think that's still going to come, which I do think at some point that will happen, or you want to be ready for Worlds, like you have to start trimming these bad habits. So I'm going to echo that like forever because I want people to hear it.
2: (laughs) I've gotten really bad habits. I used to take the full two minutes and be so good about it and... Uh I I certainly am not a good memorizer, but I, I definitely feel like I've won some games because I paid way more attention to my opponent. I, I've lost all that. I've got so many bad habits <laughs> I need to I need to build it back. <laughs> I think everybody's
0: gonna have like a rough time in the first couple of vault tours back, but um mm-hmm. It's just gonna be a different element again, right? But um, I think that we have beaten Heart of the Forest to death. I think that hopefully you guys have learned something from this. Uh, we'll, we'll call him the, the world's master of playing Heart of the Forest. I don't know anybody that would that plays more Heart of the Forest than uh, than Jason, and um, I respect his his mentality for the game if you if you didn't know how good of a player he was go back and listen to this again if you still don't think he is because then no, you just, just right now you're start probably getting you're probably try again you're probably you're probably <laughs> failing you're probably filling your analysis at that point but <laughs> but thank you so much for uh, for coming on with this Jason I appreciate your time and um, I will let you guys close out and then I'll, I'll take us out so
2: stay you a- yeah I, I just want to echo my my thanks as well uh, Jason.
1: Oh, I appreciate you guys having me and I'm I'm glad we could have a really full-length discussion on this uh, this card and, and some of the broader concepts in the game. It's really enjoyable.
2: Good, good. Have you selected your choice exit words because we all need those when we end a podcast?
1: <laughs> I have not. I'm not. I've not done quick, any podcast. Quick, quick. No, I'll before. do mine
2: and then and then you could do yours, okay? So, so I just go with the I see a lot of people saying this online. I just love it. I just love saying happy forging, everyone.
1: I do like that. That was a good one. I think I'm going to stick with uh, enjoy forging your keys.
0: Yep. and Sweet. This, and this is Jupiter from Manlius, New York, a.k.a. the Fifth Planet Key Forge. And I'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>